Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Pastor here at Crosspoint, and it's so good to have you uh, with us. And I hope I get the chance to meet you very soon in the near future. Uh, we're, we're continuing a series today, and the series is called Body Building. And it's a series that's about the spiritual fitness of God's people, the church. Uh, as you know, most of us care about our bodies. Uh, what we understand as we read scripture is that God cares about his body, the church, all the more. And God is very interested in the spiritual health, the spiritual fitness of the body of Christ. And so because we know that's true, we thought it would be very important that we have a a conversation and we talk about what it means uh, to be a spiritually fit body, to be be Crosspoint. So we began the series talking about building in through community. That was two weeks ago. And then last week we talked about building out on mission. And this week we're going to talk about building up in prayer. And if, uh, if you didn't get a chance to hear or see the messages... Uh, we do have them available, just so you're aware. We have them available on YouTube. We have a YouTube channel. You can also go to our website and listen there or uh, download them from iTunes. And so I hope that you do take that opportunity. You get the chance to listen to them so you get caught up. Uh, because this is kind of a, the vision series for Crosspoint as we launch into this new year. And we begin to dream about and pray about the, our future together. Uh, so as it turns out, today's topic, as I said, is building up in prayer. This is the week where we are, today is the day where we launch our week of solemn assembly. Uh, What is solemn assembly? Solemn assembly is essentially a week where we invite you, the church, the body of Christ, Crosspoint, to come together and to begin to pray uh, together in community about the same things and sometimes at the same time. And so uh, we are dedicating this entire week to prayer and we want to invite you to commit to doing the same. And there are a number of ways that you can do that. Uh, first of all, uh, we, we would encourage you to be praying about the same things every single day. Now, last week we talked about this, but we have a prayer guide that we put together, Solemn Assembly Prayer Guide. Uh, if you want to grab one, you can grab it at the end of the gathering. They're out there in the lobby. Just quickly grab one on your way out and on, on your way home. But the prayer guide outlines every single day of the week uh, matters that we want to invite you to pray with us about, praying for our, our next generation, praying for our families, praying for our community around us, uh, praying for our governors um, and our government, those in authority over above us. And so there's a daily prayer guide. We want to invite you every day to take out, to carve out a number of minutes in your life and say, we want to join with you in prayer about these matters. The second thing we want to do is we want to challenge you to consider fasting during this week. Uh, when we fast, uh, it opens, it turns our attention away from our desires so that we can better focus on God. And when we fast, it, it, it sometimes equips us to better pray. And so we want to invite you to fast one meal or two meals or maybe even an entire day. Of course, if you, if you have uh, health uh, issues that are prohibiting you from do that, we, we encourage you to, to not do that, to consult a doctor. But we want to encourage our community to fast with us and pray for our church, for the city, and for all the other matters that you have in your own life. Third, we want you uh, to join us for one of our prayer events. Tuesday night here, down in Simpson Hall, we are going to have a prayer meeting together, uh, and it's going to 
go from 7 o'clock till 8.30. It's going to be a time for us to intercede, to pray for, together in community uh, for some of these needs. On Thursday night, we are going to have family prayer. So adults and kids get to come together. It's going to be a unique prayer experience. There's going to be stations and whatnot. You don't have to be a parent to be there. An adult, if you're just an adult, you can come and be part of this as well. But we're going to have kids and adults all together in the same space. And Delaney is going to lead, uh, lead us in that. And then on the Friday, the Friday is kind of the culmination of the week where we're going to gather together in this space here for a concert of prayer. It's going to be an evening of worship, of singing, uh, of, of uh, corporate prayer in groups, sometimes collectively all together. Uh, it's just going to be a whole different prayer experience that we're going to have together here in community. Now, again, we're not saying come to, just, uh, come to every one of these events. You can, obviously. You, you definitely can. But would you consider carving out an evening where you can come to one of these events and join with us in praying together in community. And of course, the other, the other uh, thing that we would ask you to consider doing is praying together at least once this week as a family. Um, so all, and how you do all of these things might be new to you. You might not know how to do it. It's all in our solemn assembly prayer guide. It's got all the information you need to kind of start or reignite your prayer journey. And so today, we're talking about prayer. We're talking about building up in prayer. Um, and so that's our, our conversation we're going to be having because we just think that's the appropriate way to posture ourselves as we move into this new week together. So if you've got a Bible or a digital device, uh, we encourage you to turn with us to Second Chronicles uh, chapter 20. And you can, uh, if you don't know the Bible or you're new to the Bible, that's in the Old Testament. Uh, it's somewhere between Kings and the, the prophets, but you'll find it there, Second Chronicles chapter 20. And we're going to be uh, reading a story there. Um, now, I, uh, before we dive into the story, I, I think it's important that I give you a bit of a background on what we're going to read here today. So um, we're going to bring up a map for you on, on the screen there, okay? And I'm going to give you a frame, some reference of what we're about to read in the story. So the story takes place in a time in Israel that's called the Divided Kingdom. The Divided Kingdom took place took place after the time of King Saul and then King David and then King Solomon. After King Solomon's reign in Israel, uh, the kingdom kind of fell apart through his son and through one of his, one of his leaders, one of his generals. And so the, the nation fell apart and it split into two parts. And what you found is the nation divided into Israel or sometimes called Ephraim in the north, and you can see it up there on the map, and then the kingdom of Judah which was in the south. So it was a divided kingdom. Now, during the time of the divided kingdom, as you read through, uh, read through the Old Testament history, you discover that uh, there were good kings and there were bad kings. Uh, in the nation of Israel, which was to the north, pretty much all of them were known as evil kings. They did not walk in the ways of the Lord, okay? And in the southern kingdom, which is the nation of Judah, that was pretty much true as well, except for a handful of their kings. A handful of their kings did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, and they walked with them, and they were good kings. Now, the story we're going to read today was about a man whose name was Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat was a king in the southern kingdom, okay, the southern kingdom of, of Judah. And as it turns out, he was, he was a pretty good king. He was one of the good guys. Uh, he brought all sorts of religious reforms to the nation of Israel. He helped, God used him to bring the hearts of the people back to God, turn their hearts back to the Lord. But as it turns out, Jehoshaphat wasn't a perfect king. Uh, as a matter of fact, he had one dark blot on his leadership record, 
and it had everything to do with his, uh, with his foreign policy. As it turns out, he, um, he created an alliance with the nation of Israel to the north. And of course, remember, there were no good kings in the Israel to the north. Israel was, uh, for the most part, had turned their back on the Lord. And so because of this, God rebuked Jehoshaphat. He, he called up one of his prophets. He came to Jehoshaphat. He rebuked him for what he'd done. And uh, we're going to discover a little bit more about that in today's reading. From that experience, Jehoshaphat kind of learned his lesson about aligning himself with the northern states of Israel. So we pick up the story today, 2 Chronicles chapter 20. And I'm just going to read it, uh, starting at verse 1. So after this, the Moabites and Ammonites with some of the Munites, came to wage war against Jehoshaphat. Now some people came and told Jehoshaphat, a vast army is coming against you from Edom, from the other side of the Dead Sea. It is already in Hazazon Tamar, that is, En Gedi. Now alarmed, Jehoshaphat resolved to inquire of the Lord. And he proclaimed a fast for all Judah. And the people of Judah came together to seek help from the Lord. Indeed, they came from every town in Judah. To seek him. Okay, so, so, so there are three nations attacking Judah. You pick this up in the story, okay? Uh, and these three nations are led by the nation of Moab. And I think the question that we want to ask right off the bat as we think about this story is, why in the world are they attacking Judah? What's this all about? What's going on? Why is Moab pushing for this assault? Well, uh, to answer that, I, I want to rewind the story just a little bit to a few years prior to this event that we're reading about in the story. Okay, so let's bring that map back up again, okay? Um, during the divided kingdom, okay, so remember, it's Israel to the north, Judah to the south, the kingdom of Moab, which is just over to the right of Judah, was a vassal state of the kingdom of Israel. In other words, the kingdom of Israel kind of ruled over them and reigned over them, but you know, as you can imagine, Moab didn't like this. They didn't like the idea that Israel was ruling over them. And so they tried to break free from the nation of Israel. Now, when this happened, Israel wanted to kind of flex their muscles and bring Moab back into their, under their rulership. So the king of Israel went to the king of Judah. He went down to Jehoshaphat and he says, would you help me? Would you form an alliance with me to bring Moab back under my control? And Jehoshaphat said, sure, okay, I'll form an alliance with you. Now, Jehoshaphat, you know, was probably not very confident in this move and didn't know whether or not Judah and Israel could actually do this to Moab and take them back under their control. So Jehoshaphat went down to the kingdom of Edom, which is just south of there. And he said to their king, would you join our alliance? And all three of us will go and we'll attack uh, Moab, and we'll bring them back under control. So that's what they did. They, they all went together, and they attacked Moab, and this epic battle kind of ensues. And with God's help, what happens is Moab is up against the ropes. They're about to get defeated. Victory is almost assured, but in the very final round, uh, round Moab does this kind of uh, desperation move. The king of Moab decides that he is just going to storm the ranks of the army of Edom. He breaks through the ranks of the army of Edom. He captures the prince, the son of the king of, of Edom, and he takes him off. And then when he takes him off, he has him executed. And that day when he has him executed, Edom just says, I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. I'm not in the fight anymore. So Edom backs away. Now it's just Israel and Judah fighting against Moab. And when they realize that they've lost one of their allies, they decided they're going to cut their losses and walk away. And that's what they did. 
So they walk away, and Moab is left all by themselves, and Moab gets the victory. Kind of. But he gets the final victory at the end of the day. So, that's the background of this story. But now, sometime later, Moab decides that they're going to invade Judah. Um, you know, they're feeling really good about their victory. Maybe they feel it's time for a little bit of payback to Judah. But this time, when Moab comes to attack Judah, they bring their own allies. And this time, when they attack Judah, it's three to one against Judah rather than three to one against Moab. And so it's a huge army. It's a mighty horde that's kind of taken itself out and is going against Judah. They've come up from the south through Edom. They've marched around on the other side of the sea. And they are very, very close to Jerusalem. And they're ready to attack. Now, when King Jehoshaphat first hears about this army, this mighty army approaching him, what is his response? Well, you read it in the text. Fear. The NIV says, it uses the word alarmed. But the actual Hebrew word there is, he was afraid. And in all the other translations, that's the word they use. He was afraid. He was fearful about this approaching army. Jehoshaphat was, a t- was terrified. Now, I think most of us have experienced varying degrees of fear. Uh, and it's puzzling sometimes, isn't it? How, how sometimes we can be guided by our fears. Fear has, is, is one of these controlling emotions. It can, it can paralyze us. Sometimes it, it can mobilize us. Or, or sometimes fear can make us do really, really, really stupid stuff. That's the power of fear in our lives. And, and I think today, this morning, if we were to dig beneath the surface of our lives in this room, we wouldn't be surprised to find fears lurking in the shadows. Because the truth is, I mean, most of us have fears. We fear about what others might think about us. We fear about getting hurt by other people. Um, we fear about being alone. We fear the unknown. We fear about how our kids are going to turn out. We're afraid of the future. I mean, will, will I get that job? Will I, will I get into that school? Will I find love? We're fearful people. So how do we respond when the enemy is almost at our gates? What do we do when we're afraid? And I think Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah have something to teach us this morning. They put on a clinic on how to respond to fear and to our enemy. And that's what I want to do this morning. I want to walk through the rest of the story. I want to learn from them. And I'm hoping that this morning we'll discover four lessons about how to respond to the enemies who are almost at the gates. Four lessons on how to, how to respond to the fears that we have in our lives. And the first lesson is actually in, in, this, in this first part of the story that we read. And the first lesson is just simply this. The first lesson is to turn to God first. To turn to God first. When, when Jehoshaphat was afraid, what was the first thing that he did? What does it say in the text? It says that he inquired of the Lord. So, so unlike the last time, he didn't turn to his allies. He didn't look to them for help. Instead, it says that he turned to God for help. And here's the thing is that so often when, when we've got troubles in our life, we often don't turn to God first. You know, we text about it, tweet about it, right? We get a second or third opinion, or we grumble and we complain to other people, or, or we get in there and we try and control and to fix the problem, or, or maybe we call home to mama, okay? But we, we have all these sorts of tactics for dealing with the enemies at the gates. 
But Jehoshaphat teaches us the first thing we should do is to inquire of the Lord, is to seek his help. And what's interesting in this story is that Jehoshaphat didn't do this alone. He called together the people of God. He called together the nation of Judah from every town, and he proclaimed a holy fast, and together they sought the help of the Lord. See, the thing is, this army wasn't just Jehoshaphat's problem. This army was everybody's problem. It was the entire problem of the entire people of God. And if there's any rationale for us saying there's a reason for us to come together as a community in prayer, I think Joseph, Jehoshaphat and the nation of Judah teaches us this. But let's look at what they prayed this morning. Let's keep reading in the story. So it says, Then Jehoshaphat stood up in the assembly of Judah and Jerusalem at the temple of the Lord in front of the new courtyard, and he said, Lord, the God of our ancestors, are you not the God who is in heaven? You rule over the kingdoms of the nations. Power and might are in your hand, and no one can withstand you. Our God, did you not drive out the inhabitants of this land before your people Israel and give it forever to the descendants of Abraham, your friend? Well, what's Jehoshaphat doing here? What, he's remembering who God is, and he's remembering what God has done. He's reminding his heart, God is sovereign, God is unstoppable, and God has delivered his people in the past. This is the starting point of his prayer. But then he continues. Let's keep reading. Verse 8. He says, They have lived in it and have built in it a sanctuary for your name, saying, If calamity comes upon us, whether the sword of judgment or plague or famine, we will stand in your presence before this temple that bears your name, and we will cry out to you in our distress, and you will hear us and save us. So what's Jehoshaphat doing here? Now, now in the text, Jehoshaphat is he's leaning on the promises of God. He's standing on the promises of God. See, he, what, he's, what he's talking about is, is, is back in the day of Solomon, when they built the temple, there was this promise that God gave to his people. And the promise was that if they stand in the temple and they pray and they seek the Lord's help, the Lord would answer, the Lord respond, would respond. That was a promise for the people of God. And so what, what, what he's doing in his prayer is he's remembering the promise of God and he's standing on the promise of God before he's asking. So let's keep going in his prayer. Let's jump ahead to verse 12. He says this, he says, Our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power to face this vast army that is attacking us. We do not know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And all the men of Judah, with their wives and children and little ones, stood there before the Lord. Verse 12 of his prayer essentially summarizes what Jehoshaphat has been doing throughout his prayer up to this moment. Notice what he says. He says, we don't know what to do. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. And, and I think that today, this morning, this is the second lesson that we can learn from Jehoshaphat. The second lesson we can learn from Jehoshaphat is to fix our eyes on God. To fix our eyes on God. This is what Jehoshaphat has essentially been doing in his prayer up to this point. He's been taking his eyes off of his fears, off of the enemy army, and he's putting his eyes instead on God. He's remembering who God is and what God has done. He's standing on the promises of God. He's fixing his eyes on God. And friends, this is, this is essentially the starting point of effective prayer. Effective prayer begins by seeing God for who he is. And, and when we lock our, our gaze on God, what happens is faith begins to swell up in our hearts so that we can pray more powerfully, so that we can pray more effectively. Jesus said it's the faith of the mustard seed that essentially can move mountains. So faith is magnified when we fix our eyes on God. This is, this is perhaps why Paul says that we should 
fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. It's also why the author of Hebrews would invite us to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. See, sometimes, and I don't know about you, but sometimes I find it's really easy to just fixate on the problem. But when we stare at the approaching army, what happens is that fear rises and faith diminishes. But when we fix our eyes on God, we find that fear diminishes and faith rises. We must fix our eyes on God. It it brings to mind Paul's words in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 18 to 19. Here's what he says. He says, I pray, he's praying for the church here in Ephesus. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And that power is the same as the mighty strength he used to raise Jesus up from the dead. You know, I I wonder if you need that power this morning, and you need that prayer this morning. Lord, would 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 you turn on the lights in my heart? Lord, would you help me to see Help me to see you. Help me to see every promise you have for me. Lord, may I, may I see and have my eyes fixed on you. May I know the power that is available to me as a believer in Christ. The same resurrection power that you used raised Jesus from the dead. Lord, would you help me to see as I fix my eyes on you? Jehoshaphat prayed, we don't know what we do, but our eyes are on you. Are your eyes on the army this morning? Are you, are you fixated on the fears? Or this morning, have you fixed your eyes on Christ, on Jesus? And maybe today is the day that you need a new point of view. You need a new way of looking. Well, what happened after they prayed? Let's, let's, let's keep reading. Verse 14, it says, And the Spirit of the Lord came on Jehaziel, son of Zechariah, the son of Benaiah, the son of Jael, the son of Mataniah, Anyone need a Hebrew uh, thesaurus this morning? Okay. A Levite and a descendant of Asaph as he stood in the assembly. And he said, listen, King Jehoshaphat and all who live in Judah and Jerusalem, this is what the Lord says to you. Do not be afraid or discouraged because of this vast army. For the battle is yours, but it's not God's. Oh, the, did I say it's not God's? So the battle is, is not yours, but God's. I'll ex- I, uh, I could explain that. It was a mouse thing. It shifted the letters. You know when you go to bold something? Anyway. But the battle is not yours, but God. I'm glad you're paying attention to this this morning. Because there is going to be a quiz afterwards. And the quiz is going to be, whose battle is it? So after they pray, God speaks to them through this prophet, and his message is really simple. Here's the message. Don't be afraid, right? Don't be discouraged, because you don't have to fight this army. In fact, God is going to fight it for you. I, sh- I try to imagine that day. You know, there's, there's, there's this vast army of Judeans and family members and whatnot crammed into this courtyard. It's, it's hot, and it's dusty, and it smells like B.O., and 
people are just sweating because it's so hot and and you've got this prophet speaking up at the front. Now, obviously, the people at the back aren't hearing him right away. So the message is kind of being relayed person to person about what he says from the front to the back, right? And they're, they're, they're kind of getting this message told to them about what's going to happen. You know, I try to imagine, you know, maybe there's one of the soldiers standing in the back. His name's Keith, right? And Keith's standing back there, and he's standing next to his roommate. His roommate's holding a spear, Right? And then this message just kind of finds its way, telephone tag, all the way to the back. And Keith's like, did I hear that right? You know, we don't actually have to, we don't have to fight? God's going to win this battle for us? That sounds like a great idea. I mean, it gets hot out here. You know, I, I should have done SPF 60, but I'm getting a little bit of a burn. And this letter jerking is kind of starting to chafe my armpits. God's going to fight this. He's going to win this battle. This is awesome. We can go home. Right? Anybody hungry? Let's get takeout. Let's hit Dawn's on the way. Anything new on Netflix? Let's go. You know? And, he, and he's ready to walk away. But then his friend says, like, shut up. No, he's not done talking yet. Yeah, God's going to win this battle. But there's more that you've got to hear. And so the prophet keeps talking. And then the prophet says this, starting verse 16. Tomorrow... March down against them. They will be climbing up by the pass of Zeus. And you will find them at the end of the gorge in the desert of, desert of Jeriel. You will not have to fight this battle. But take up your positions, stand firm, and see the deliverance the Lord will give you. Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be, be afraid. We've heard that, haven't we? Do not be discouraged. But go out and face them tomorrow, and the Lord will be with you. Now, of course, if you're Keith at this point, you're thinking, oh, man, rats. That means we've got to go down to the desert. We've got to go down and we've got to march in the morning, right? We've got to take up our battle formation. You've got to be kidding me. I mean, why in the world would God need to do that? I mean, if God's going to win the battle, why do they need to go out and march? Can't God just take care of it and they can go home and watch Netflix? But see, here's the thing, and here's, here's what we discover in the story. Even though God is going to fight for us, sometimes God still asks us, to step out in faith. Sometimes God still wants us to go out and face our fears head on. Because here's the thing. is When we face our fears, we demonstrate even greater trust in God. And this is the third lesson. The third lesson we learn from them is this. Is that sometimes we need to step out in faith. We need to step out in faith. See, here's the thing about faith. Is that faith is not complacent. Faith doesn't sit on its hands. Faith is active. It, it participates with God in whatever God is doing. And sometimes God asks us to go out and to march. And if you're God, you know, think about this. If you're asking God to help you with a test, I think God still wants you to study, right? If, if you're asking God to find you a job, God still wants you to go out and send out resumes. If you're wrestling with a, with a secret sin in your life, God still wants you to go and ask someone for help. He still wants you to go and seek out accountability. Dude, listen, if you want a future wife, you need to shower, okay? You need to brush your teeth, and you need to ask somebody out for a date. I'm just saying. God will fight our battles, but we still need to step out in faith. 
So after they heard this, all the people, I mean, they, they heard this, what God was going to do. What did they do in the story? They all bowed down. They worshiped God. The Levites and the singers who were there, they began praising God. You know, once they'd heard this great news about God and them going off the battle. And what we're going to discover as we read the story is they do that a whole lot. The people of Judah in this story. There's a whole lot of singing going on. And we'll read about that soon. But let's look at what happened the next day. Here's what happened the next morning. Verse 20. It says, early in the morning, they left for the desert of Tekoa, and as they set out, Jehoshaphat stood and he said, listen to me, Judah and people of Jerusalem, have faith in the Lord your God, and you will be upheld, have faith in his prophets, and you will be successful. And then after consulting the people, Jehoshaphat appointed men to sing to the Lord and to praise him for the splendor of his holiness as they went out at the head of the army, saying, give thanks to the Lord for his love endures forever. Okay, so it's early in the morning. All the battle-hardened soldiers are lining up, ready to go off the war. Keith's there. He's somewhere in the back. He's standing next to his roommate who's holding his spear, right? And he's thinking to himself, I'd rather be at home, but, you know, we're supposed to go out in March, so I guess I'm going to go out in March. But, you know, he's, he's kind of feeling feisty. He's had his Starbucks and his couple of his egg bites, and he's fixing for a fight. And, and then the no, this, this news slowly gets passed down, again, from the front of the crowd all the way to the back of the crowd, and he hears the next item up for business. He hears about the next great plan in this battle strategy. Jehoshaphat has put together a choir, and he's decided that he's going to put the choir out in front of the army. Not a vanguard of hardened soldiers, not a, a, a whole you know, fleet of spearmen, not a whole bunch of cavalry. Instead, he's decided to put out the tenors and the sopranos. A bunch of guys in skinny jeans with v-neck t-shirts and guitars, okay? These are the ones that are going to lead us off into battle. I'm wearing a v-neck, just don't be offended, okay? Uh, so these are the ones that are going to lead us off into battle. If you were Keith, what would you be thinking? I mean, WWKT, what would Keith think, right? <laughs> if I was Keith, I'd think this guy is crazy. He wants me to go into battle being led by a bunch of musicians. And so that's the question, isn't it? Like, why on, why on earth did Jehoshaphat send out the singers? Well, I think the, the basic answer is, and the best answer is, he was demonstrating the deepest of faith in the face of his fears. See, what was the choir doing? The choir was singing about a victory that had already been won. Even though they didn't see the victory yet with their own eyes, they were going out singing about the Lord's victory. They were putting their absolute trust in God because in their minds and in their hearts, the battle was already won. And I think this is the fourth lesson. The fourth lesson we can learn from the people of Judah is this, is that after you've stepped out in faith, you just need to praise as you go. You need to praise as you go. If you're here today and you're a follower of Jesus, you've put your complete faith and trust in Jesus. You've crossed over from death to life. You're no longer an enemy of God and you're a child of God. If you're here today and that's true for you, you've got something to sing about. You've got something to sing about because the epic battle between good and evil has already been won. That Jesus has defeated sin, death, the grave, and the forces of evil. 
through his death on the cross, which was finished, and through his resurrection unto new life. You have a reason to sing. Because he lives, you live also. And because of his incomparably great power for us who believe, we can have trust in God, that God is for us and not against us. And even when this life goes south, even when your life is fading away, we still can have confidence in the final victory that when Jesus comes again, he will conquer all. He will make all things new. And so, friends, if you're here today, and if you are a believer in Christ, if God is for us, who can be against us? You have the victory. And that's why we sing. That's why we sing. You see, think about praise. When we worship, when we sing songs together on a Sunday morning, okay, it actually builds our faith. That's what it's intended to do. When we praise God, we are reminded of who God is. We are reminded what God has done. And the thing about praise is, is you're not just reading about it. You're actually engaging your whole person in it. Heart, mind, soul, and spirit. The air in your lungs is coming out as you sing about and you talk about who God is and all he has done. When we praise, we take our eyes off of our fears and we turn our eyes on to Jesus. This is why the ancients sang. This is why the early church sang. It's also why we worship together in community every single Sunday. Why we think this is a very important spiritual rhythm for the people of God to come together every week and to sing to God and to sing about God. If you want to see your faith diminish, cut yourself off from the praises of the faithful. Stop showing up. Stop singing. Because singing is believing. Now, some of you might say, hey, I don't, I don't sing. I mean, when I sing, it sounds like two cats wrestling in a blender. And I get that, okay? We're not saying this morning that you have to be a good singer. But just be a faith-filled singer. That's all you need to be. Praise builds our faith, and praise is, is in many ways an act of faith. A few of you uh, might remember a few years ago that uh, I had a very serious health crisis. I had a, a blood clot in my leg. I had two DVTs in my lungs, and it was a life-threatening experience. I, I was moment by moment just fighting for air to be able to breathe constantly, and it was, it was terrifying. It was very frightening uh, when it was at its peak. Um, and even afterwards, as, as I was recovering from that experience, I, I, I began to wrestle with anxiety, which was very strange for me because I'm not an anxious person by nature. I'm usually a very bold and confident person. But I, I started wrestling with anxiety, and, and I, I actually started experiencing uncontrollable panic attacks. I couldn't do anything about this. I just slip into this panic attack, and I couldn't stop it. And, I, and all I could do is just kind of sit through it. It was like the enemy was constantly marching against my city, and there was nothing I could do to stop it. But one thing that really helped me at that time in my life, um, and I started doing it very, on, uh, very soon, is when I'd go down into those dark places, I would just sing. And I would just worship. I'd find music uh, on, my, on my phone, and I'd, I'd download it, and I'd have it ready. And when I went into that spot, I would just sing my way through it. And there were days where I felt like I couldn't sing. And so I asked Karen, um, to come and say, Karen, can you just sing to me? And I'll just listen and I'll hear you. And what got me through those darkest moments in my life uh, to this point was singing, was, was praise. I sang about the finished work of the cross. I sang about the victory of the resurrection. I, I sang about the return of my coming king, my great and future hope. 
and I fixed my eyes on Jesus and I got through it because singing was believing. We need to praise as we go as the people of God. And that's going to lead us from victory to victory to victory. Well, let's, let's look at the end of the story. What happened as they sang? Verse 22. As they began to sing and praise, the Lord set ambushes against the men of Ammon and Moab and Mount Seir who were invading Judah, and they were defeated. The Ammonites and Moabites rose up against the men from Mount Seir to destroy and annihilate them. And after they finished slaughtering the men from Seir, they helped to destroy one another. So, so God sends this confusion. The coalition basically falls apart. They start attacking each other, eventually end up destroying each other. It's, I mean, it's like an episode of Three Stooges. Larry, Moe, and Curly basically knock each other out all at the same time, okay? Except this isn't the result of idiocy, and this is no comedy. It's the hand of God. And it happened exactly how God said it would happen. And Judah doesn't even have to lift a finger. All they can do is stand and watch. And so when they get there, they show up uh, to where God had sent them to go. All they saw there was a, a field littered with bodies and a whole bunch of plunder. And all they could do was just, well, I guess there's no one to fight. I guess we just pick up all the plunder. And so they did. They picked up all of this plunder. And it, took, it said it took them three whole days just to accumulate it all. And they begin to ship it back to Jerusalem. And after all of that had happened, after they'd seen the hand of God and seen the work of God happen, they had one thing that they could do. There was only one thing they could do. They sang some more. They praised some more. And we read about it in verse 26. It says, on the fourth day, they assembled in the valley of Baraka, where they praised the Lord. This is why the valley of Baraka, why it's called the valley of Baraka to this day. Then led by Jehoshaphat, all the men of Judah and Jerusalem returned joyfully to Jerusalem. For the Lord had given them cause to rejoice over their enemies. And they entered Jerusalem and went to the temple of the Lord with harps and lyres and trumpets. How did they respond? They worshipped. And they did it with thanks. And they took all the glory and honor that they may have been able to accumulate and they reflected it back to God. They didn't keep any of it for themselves. They just kept on singing. And I, and I just love the final conclusion of the story and how it all ends. And here's what it says in the final verse. It says, The fear of God came on all the surrounding kingdoms when they heard how the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. And the kingdom of Jehoshaphat was at peace, for his God had given him rest on every side. And this is the most amazing plot twist, the most brilliant part of the story, is the ending. And it only has as much meaning at the end if you understand the beginning. And here's the summary of the story. Only God can defeat our fears and bring fear to his enemies. Only God can defeat our fear and bring fear to his enemies. And so Crosspoint, with all our hearts, we long to be a people of prayer. We believe the kingdom of God advances on its knees. And we, and we want to see, uh, we want to fix our eyes on Jesus. We want to seek God first. And as we do it, we want to sing along the way and praise along the way. Now, I want to ask you a question this morning. It's a very personal question. Is the enemy at your gates? What's keeping you up at night? What's causing you anxiety and fear? 
What are you worried about? Family? Work? Your health? Is it whether or not you'll ever be free of this nagging sin issue in your life? This habit that's killing you? The relationships? What are you afraid of? Are you willing today, like the enemy of the gate, to respond to Jehoshaphat here? To take it to the Lord first. To seek him and fix your eyes on him. To ask him for help. Are you willing to do that today? I'd like to invite you to do that. And And I'd like us to respond in faith to our Lord and our God. I remind you of who God is and what he's done. Our God is great. There's nothing that's impossible with him. And our God is good. He's for us and he's not against us. And I wonder if I could just lead you in a time of prayer as we close where you can just take your fear to the Lord and just feel it and leave it with him. Can we do that this morning? Can we respond in faith together as God's people with our knees? Why don't we just take a moment. Let's, let's close our eyes and we do that just to remove distractions perhaps so we can take our eyes off what's around us and fix our eyes on Jesus. And where you're at right now, why don't you just simply name it? Be very specific. Say, God, this is what I'm afraid of. The enemy coming towards us here. Just be honest with him. He already knows. He wants us to confess it, to come into agreement with him. God, I bring this to you. just ask him together. God, would you hear my prayer? Be faithful to your promises. And would you intervene in this part of my life? As the people gather in his name, when we're gathering his name, he's here in the midst of us. Present your request to me. I'm going to believe together. God, God, is there any way that you want me to step out in faith? Just ask him for just a moment. What is the Lord asking you to create this week with him? I thank you, Lord, that uh, you are the faithful one. Some of these requests that we share with you, we've shared it again and again and again, and we haven't seen the result. 
But we want to stand on your promises. We want to lean on you once again to see you move. And God, remind us again to keep praying, to keep pressing in, to keep asking. That faith would rise up in us and in our hearts and persevere in our search. God, we put our trust in you. We just surrender. And we worship you. Thank you for hearing our prayers and answering them. Thank you for the victory we have in Jesus. We pray these things in your name. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.